Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Armor Report, guys. It's a Friday. It's a week in review. Armor stands for Algorithmic Risk Management Research. And of course, this is a show about stock market investing with extra emphasis on managing your risk. We're going to talk today about a number of things. We're going to update our risk management algorithms and what it means for market direction. We're going to talk about our favorite investment theme, which is the cannabis stocks. Favorite doesn't mean we have a lot of exposure. Favorite just means it's a fundamental story we continue to follow um, uh, closely for opportunities. So we're going to talk about a leader in that space. Um, We're going to talk about gold and silver again. I'm going to give you an update there on how those assets are trading and the buy zones that they seem to be coming down to as expected. I want to share with you a case study today on how to choose the right dividend investments. We're going to look at a stock that had major warning flags. And so it was a company we would not be buying for dividends. And then they just announced earnings and it was a debacle. The stock's down almost 30% overnight. And we're going to go over real quick why. So it's going to help you pick the right dividend passive investing stocks for an overall strategy to increase net worth, gather dividends, but not put too much risk into your portfolio. All right. I also want to talk about the ECB's QE announcement and the Leon Cooperman stock market issues. So we're going to go over that. So we got a lot to unpack today. Let's try to, uh, let's try to get to as fast as we can. Um, don't forget, this is a live trading desk. I'm sharing information that I'm using to manage my own asset and that of uh, high net worth individuals. I'm not telling you what to do. I couldn't possibly tell you what stocks to buy or how to buy them since I don't know you. But what I can do is try to um, share my wisdom over 30 years of doing this. And so I like to say that this show is about um, the old axiom or adage or whatever you want to call it. You can give a man a fish he eats for a day. You teach him how to fish, he eats for a lifetime. Use that as a guide for what I'm sharing with you on these shows. Okay. Let's launch into um, a quick discussion about um, the stock market direction. All right, I sent out an armor report alert to everybody on our subscriber list. Don't forget, just go to our website, rosenthalcapital.com, and subscribe to a free armor report alerts. I send out emails periodically when I think there's something important to say. And so I sent one out last week uh, about the stock market direction and this very disturbing divergence I'm seeing. Leadership, growth stocks, the momentum index, the IBD 50 are breaking down as the markets are going towards their highs again. Okay, something's wrong with that picture. Something doesn't smell right. What's leading the market higher is the small cap index, particularly, don't forget, IWM has a 25% exposure to small cap financials. So in a world where we have more than $15 trillion worth of negative interest rates, where we have banks lending to consumers at negative rates, we have 
small caps leading the stock market rally because small cap financials are on the move to the upside. It doesn't make a lot of sense. This explains why we are, quote, risk off when we look at our algorithms. We haven't gotten the right uh, confluence to get us aggressive. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have stocks in the portfolio. Remember, when I say risk off, it means look at your own portfolio, determine how much cash you're willing to hold, and you should probably have that cash position on. That's what I do for my own assets. So it can mean different things for different people. You might be wildly aggressive and say, I always have 100% invested. Okay, well, then don't use margin. You see what I'm saying? This is what the algorithms are telling us. It doesn't mean you can't make some money as the market crawls higher. And there are certainly pockets of areas where you can make money. So, for instance, in our portfolios, we're focused on dividend payers. The interest rate environment we're in, and we're going to get to the ECB announcement yesterday, just further solidifies, in my mind, the need to run money conservatively and focus where you can collect dividends and create a passive investment stream. And if you look at those stocks, they're outperforming the market in a major way. If you choose the right dividend payers, AT&T was making new highs off of its move. Not all-time new highs, but coming off of its lows. As the market sold off in August, AT&T barely blinked, and it made new highs already in September, way before the market. And that's just one example. So it's not – you can't just buy every dividend payer. We're going to go over that in a minute. We're going to do a case study about Taylor Brands and their earnings announcement yesterday that blew the stock up. Okay, so you have to be selective. You have to choose blue chip companies that have solid dividends, that have growth potential. I'm looking for companies where they're changing their business in a way where maybe they're focusing a higher margin business or um, things of that ilk so that I feel that dividend can grow and my principal can grow. Okay, so those stocks are outperforming. But in this market environment, I won't put on excessive risk. So to me, I'm managing my risk right now. That's what the algorithms continue to tell us, even though the markets are running, right? The Dow's up eight days in a row. And CNBC likes to say we're almost at all time new highs. Okay, well, like 10 days ago, the market was down over the last 20 months. So we had a 20-month downtrend, if you will, about 10 days ago, and now we're almost at all-time new highs. Don't let that CNBC cheerleading hysteria um, confuse you. The market's been going nowhere for about 20 months, except for wild volatility. And the best performers in that period have been dividend payers. Okay, moving on. Um, let's... and. and let me just remind you, just for, to help me out, guys, don't forget, if you um, are appreciating what I'm saying and you feel this is helpful, give me that thumbs up, okay? That raises my profile on YouTube and it helps me out. So I would appreciate that if you don't mind doing it. All right. Now, let's move on to, um, it's a good time to discuss the ECB announcement. So nine months ago, the Central Bank of Europe stopped quantitative easing. Yesterday, the Central Bank of Europe said we're going to begin quantitative easing at an enormous level, and we're not going to stop until things change. It's completely open-ended. So we have 
over $15 trillion of negative interest rate bonds around the world. And that number is clearly going to grow because the ECB is doing QE infinity. What's QE? They create liquidity and they buy, many times, government bonds all around the world. The more government bonds central banks are buying, the more it drives down interest rates all around the world and the more negative yielding interest rates you get. Somebody watching this show, please explain to me how a bank in Denmark, and now there's two banks in Denmark. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I tweeted out the names of the banks that are lending money to borrowers and accepting less in return to pay off the debt. How does the bank make money at that rate? I don't get it. I don't get it. Somebody please help me. Explain to me how that bank makes money. Why would they do that? I don't get it. Okay. So on the one hand, this is what stocks, stops the stock market from collapsing. When you have excessive liquidity and central banks keep adding liquidity, you can get air pockets in the market, a la fourth quarter last year, the market drops 25% from top to bottom. Normally, I've been doing this over 30 years, that seems like the beginning of a bear market, not in the world we live in today. It's an air pocket, but you have such massive QE, where else is the money going to go? If you ask any investor over the last decades, what really creates a bear market? It's higher interest rates so that people have a choice. Think about it. If you had, let's say, 5% government bonds, the rate was 5%. And you, you could say, I'll take 5% with no risk. Then it would crush the dividend payers, right? Because in the market we're in, risk is crazy. Volatility is insane. And I've got to hold these blue chip dividend stocks but I still have to deal with the volatility. Look, let me tell you something. When the market collapses, the blue chip dividend payers go down. It's just that they're the first ones to recover because there's so much liquidity out there. There's nowhere else to go. People drive into those stocks as the yields go up. But if we had 30-year bonds or something, 10-year bonds or whatever, 10-year bonds at 5%, do you know how many people would just lock that in and forget about the hysteria of the stock market? That's what creates a bear market. So what's happening when we see a 25% drop in the market in, in, in three months? It's not the start of a bear market because there's just way too much liquidity. What we've got, and Leon Cooperman has been saying it on CNBC. He's been writing about it, talking about it on, on Business Insider. He's a brilliant fund manager for years, and he crystallizes the situation. This is not the stock market that we're used to. It's a stock market run by algorithms. It's a stock market where there is no real institutional support from the banks, right? Investment banks used to collect uh, commissions to create markets and stocks, okay? And in the politicians' infinite wisdom and in um, groupthink and crowd hysteria, everybody got upset that investment banks are making too much money making markets and stocks. Spread's too big. Let's make it a penny. Let's make it half a penny. Okay, well, careful what you wish for. Okay? You've blown out the big bad banks. They're not there anymore. Well, guess what? Now there's nobody there to support stocks as they go down. 
when the algorithms fire and they start selling the market off and you've got more passive income investing than, than active investing for, I think, the first time in history right now. And you have only high-frequency traders making markets, and that's at 100 shares at a time, and they're in and out so fast, they just back away when the market starts going down. That's how you get 3 to 4% reversals in the S&P in a couple-hour period. Trump makes a tweet, the market drops 3% from top to bottom, and you're like, what the heck just happened to my account? That would have never happened in a period where investment banks were making markets and getting paid for making those markets, which was totally fair. Okay? You wouldn't have a drop like that. And what bothers Leon Cooperman is, in his entire history, when he got drops like that, he would change his portfolio because he would expect that was a sign of weakness in the market and things were changing. But it's not really a sign of weakness in the market. It's a sign of weakness in market structure. Why do I talk about this? Somebody said to me on Twitter or stock Twitter somewhere, why am I wasting my time talking about something that happened months ago? Well, because we learn from history and we have to understand what it means going forward for our portfolio. It's very hard for me to recommend a lot of risk in a portfolio where the market can sell off that aggressively on a Trump tweet and there's nobody there to support it. So that's why I'm, I really started this. You know, I've done something like 160 videos um, and I started it to try to help people understand how to manage risk because that's more important in today's market than ever before. Okay, moving on. Um, let me just show you this chart uh, one more time. Okay, there's a chart. Okay, there's a chart of how the market's been behaving in the Fed announcements. So it's no surprise the market's rallying right now and the Fed announcements next week. Okay, so the question is, is this time proverbially different? Is the Fed going to say something on the earnings uh, on the Fed announcement next week that gets the market to rocket higher? Or has the market already run into expectations of a rate cut? All right, let's talk about Trump and China real quick. I've said it before on the show. I'm going to say it again. Here's a prediction for you. It's just a guess. I don't know, guys. I'm just throwing my hat in the proverbial ring. The day a deal is struck between Trump and China will be the day the market peaks. Now, could I be off by a week or two? Sure, sure. The market might have a huge up day that day and it'll spill over for a week or two. But you'll look back six months later and realize, wow, that was the top of the market. Here's the reason why. The market goes up because central banks are adding liquidity. Right now, central banks' biggest concern is a trade war that's suppressing economic growth around the world. If that war ends, economic growth picks up, Fed doesn't have to lower rates. Fed doesn't have to do QE. ECB may not have to do as much QE. So the market right now is running towards the highs of the year, pricing in all this QE and all this liquidity. Be careful 
about the excitement that would ensue on a Trump-China trade deal. There's many different scenarios that could play out. What if it's an interim deal? I think the market will hate that. If there's no deal and the market sells off hard on another Trump tweet, that means we should look to buy dividend payers for strength going forward because more liquidity is created by the Fed. If there is a deal that leads to economic growth, you've just topped the market because the Fed will take that as an opportunity to reduce liquidity. All right, let's move on. Um, Dividend payers, case study, uh, 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 Taylor Brent, TLRD. I want you to go take a look at this chart right here. That's the weekly chart of Taylor Brands. So I had a subscriber ask a question about Taylor Brands. Is that a good dividend stock to be buying? It had an 11.5% yield. Okay? First of all, that's a terrible chart pattern. So that's telling us there's something wrong with this company's fundamentals. I'm looking for chart patterns for dividend payers that are in uptrends, uh, coming out of nice bases, um, sitting on the 200-day moving average, something like that. So this right here, these big drop downs in the stock on earnings is concerning to me. All right, that's, that's step one. Here's the daily charts. Now we see uh, two days ago they announced, or yesterday they announced earnings, stock dropped 30%. And you can see back in the other part of the chart here, the last time they announced earnings, they blew it, and the stock collapsed again. Okay, so let's go over a rule, a case study. It's very important. When you're looking at dividend payers, how do you select the right ones? First of all, you look at cash flow and the dividend cover ratio. So if you see a high dividend payout, but they're not bringing in enough cash to service that dividend, that's a warning flag. It doesn't mean that they can't keep servicing it for a while. And I've seen some companies have cash flow go down. They keep paying a dividend other ways, and then the cash flow comes up. But it's very dangerous when the dividend payout cannot be covered by their cash flow. Number two, a high dividend payout of 11.5% is a warning sign in and of itself. There aren't many stocks paying that rate. Like right now, blue chip name, anywhere between, you know, 4% and 6% is like the normal range right now. Starts to get above 6% on, a, on an individual stock. You're, there, there are issues, right? Like Altria, Philip Morris, they're trading at a 7% yield, but we've got a vaping problem. People are dying. Okay, so it's got a yield that's higher because maybe there's something wrong with their business. You see what I'm saying? 11.5% tells you there's something really wrong with the business. Now, there's some assets that pay higher yields for a reason. Real estate investment trusts, uh, um, master limited partnerships, they pay a higher yield because of their structure. That's different. I'm talking about an individual stock, individual company paying a dividend. The yield is double digits. There's usually a reason why, and it's a problem. So the third thing that I noticed, and I, I tweeted this out, this uh, subscriber, I said, look, this company has massive amounts of debt on their balance sheet. So they got this big dividend, suffering cash flow, and huge amounts of debt. I said, let's see what they say on their earnings announcement before we buy the stock. So the next day they announced earnings. What did they do? They suspended the dividend because they need to use cash to pay off their debt. 
here endeth the lesson. When looking for dividend payers, check their cash flow dividend coverage ratio, check their debt, and be aware that yields that are too high are generally too high for a reason. You're taking more risk. Okay, moving on. Um, cannabis, one of our favorite investment themes. You guys, have, I've been talking about this ad nauseum. Everybody who's on the Armour Report um, free email list got an email from me talking about my favorite cannabis investment. We all know it. It's Charlotte's Web. Okay, and I just want to reiterate it again. As these stocks continue to suffer, Charlotte's Web not only holds in its uptrend, and it's up another two plus percent today, but the stock looks great. And here's why. There's one major reason why. And this is true for all types of investments. You have to understand that institutional sponsorship is what drives stocks up. It's not my buying or your buying that puts a stock up significantly over a long period of time. It's when Fidelity, it's when Vanguard funds, it's when um, Harvard endowments and CalPERS decide to take massive positions in stocks, and then they support their positions over time where you can really increase your net worth. In the cannabis space right now, institutions have almost zero opportunity to buy these stocks. Until cannabis is no longer listed as a Schedule S1 narcotic, until that day occurs, institutions cannot really own this space. They can own the Canadian players, which are having their own issues, right? So there's no real interest to build positions there. They can't own any U.S. players. There's one player these companies can buy if they want a piece of the cannabis action. And it's Charlotte's Web. It's a hemp company. It doesn't violate any federal laws. And it is the premium product. And they've brought in the best management team, people from Kellogg's, people from Johnson & Johnson, people from InBev. This is a simple consumer packaged goods story more than it is a cannabis story. And that's why the stock performs better. Now, I'm going to reveal, I'm doing research right now, and I'm about to write an Armour Report alert to all the subscribers. It's free, okay, on another stock that fits this criteria in the cannabis space that we are going to begin to position. I'm going to share that information with my subscribers. So go ahead to our website if you're not a subscriber yet. Click on the button, fill it in. It's a free report. Probably next week, I'm going to come out with a report. I'm going to highlight a particular issue in the cannabis space that covers all of the issues that I needed to cover to make it comfortable enough for me to put capital into the space. And, that, and, and it's an issue I feel um, not so much an institutionally sponsored issue, but it's in a particular area that will attract a lot of capital. So I'm going to share that with you. Feel free to subscribe to the ARM report, RosenthalCapital.com. And my next report is going to include this particular stock. All right. Um, 
Wrapping up, let's talk real quick about gold, silver, and precious metals. I highlighted it um, over the last couple of weeks that we've had a major breakout in gold and silver from like a decade-long downtrend. It's just beginning. So what I said is, look, you don't have to get the first move off the bottom, which already occurred two months ago. What we want to do is wait for the assets to come back down to the 50-day moving average, see if they set up support there, and that's where we want to try to accumulate it. So we always try to buy weakness here on this desk. We don't chase, not in this market. We, we're patient. We wait. We get weakness. We build positions. So right now, precious metal stocks, the metals are down. Gold's down a half percent. Silver's down two and a half percent. Um, GDX is down you know, one and a half percent today. So they're all coming down. GDX is back to its 50-day moving average now and going below it. So it's been a vicious move off the bottom. It could be a really nasty sell-off just to test people. So what we need to do now is it's coming into that buy zone. See where it finds support, sets up a base, take an opportunity to put some capital into our portfolio as a hedge. It's a real nice balanced portfolio when you've got dividend payers and a little bit of precious metals. So when the market sells off aggressively and it's going to hit dividend payers, you get a bounce up in the precious metals and it balances off the risk in your portfolio. So it's a risk management technique to own these assets right now. But you've got to do them on weakness. You cannot chase this space. So I just highlighted today that they're coming in. And so now I'm starting to get more interested. Um, there's one piece of news I wanted to remind you guys about. Last time we talked about precious metals, you can go look at the other videos. I have a precious metals um, playlist for you so you can find it easily. There's one thing I didn't mention, a very important issue um, about gold that has changed the dynamics of the precious metal a bit. So I talked last time about um, the lease rates and how they're effectively 0%. And so it's made the leasing of metal not worth it. And so um, supply has dried up when it comes to short selling of the metal, of the paper, okay? Um, there's litigation out there because central, um, because uh, bullion banks have been selling more paper than they actually have bullion, okay? Um, who knows? It could be 10 to 1. It could be 100 to 1. Nobody knows how much um, they've oversold, and that litigation is moving forward. So, um, at the very least, these bullion banks aren't out there shorting the metal like crazy. And, and there's many indications they're actually buying in um, on metal, as are, and this is the key piece of information, as are central banks now. Central banks, central banks, as of April this year, are allowed to hold gold on their balance sheet as a tier one asset. It's incredibly important. Um, in a world of negative interest rates, tier one assets are like uh, uh, government bonds, government paper, short-term uh, bills, this type of thing. In a world of negative interest rates, it's become very hard with all this liquidity around the world for central banks to put money into more and more, you know, U.S. treasuries as the yield goes lower and lower. Um, 
but they have to have a certain amount of tier one assets on their balance sheet. It's, you know, based on all the, the banking rules. And so in April, finally, gold was recognized and highlighted as a tier one asset that can now be held on central banks balance sheets to meet regulations. So in the past, central banks were leasing out their gold or selling their gold. Now they can buy that gold, put it on their balance sheet and meet requirements. The worm is turning in this business. And it's starting to pile up. And that's why we think that that major breakout that started a couple months ago in gold and silver will continue. So we look to buy weakness. We look to buy a tier one asset on weakness. Guys, I'm wrapping up. I hope this has been helpful. If you thought it was helpful, please let me know. Give me a thumbs up. Any comments, any questions, I'd love to talk to you about it. Oh, to that subscriber who's been waiting this whole time for my answer on Schlumberger. He asked me about Schlumberger. Is it time to buy that stock? It's an oil company. I'm looking forward to buying oil stocks. Um, I think they'll perform great if there's ever a trade deal cut. Okay. I'm not running out there and buying the stock yet, but I'll talk about Schlumberger in the future. It is a blue chip player um, in the oil and, and gas services business. It pays a yield of better than 5%, might be 5.5%. Um, I do have my eye on that stock, but um, I'm, I'm not aggressively buying energy stocks yet. I'm very interested. So I'll let you know in the future if it becomes something that I, I really focus on. Okay, guys, so anyway, any questions you have, let me know, and I'll try to cover them on future, on future calls. Um, have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week. Take care.